Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, and this is episode 10 of Passionate Pioneers. In this episode, we spent time with two inspiring leaders who have dedicated their lives to childhood bereavement for community members in Colorado and beyond. Dr. Brooke Greasy, co-founder and recently appointed board member, founded Judy's House in 2002. Judy's House is a national-leading, freestanding organization devoted solely to providing research-based care to grieving children and their families. For over 15 years, Judy's House has supported nearly 10,000 youth and caregivers by being focused on a vision that no child should be alone in grief. And recently, Brooke and the Judy's House Board of Directors appointed Jessica Maitland-Mayo as their new CEO. During our time together, Brooke shared her very personal family story of how her husband experienced childhood bereavement, her professional background that prepared her for her mission in life, and how Judy's House came to be. Additionally, Jessica described how Judy's House provided loving and life-changing care to her family during unspeakable tragedy and how this experience has perfectly positioned her to lead Judy's House today and into the future. And because of the generosity of their donors, there is no cost to families receiving care and services from the Judy's House staff. Before we dive into the podcast, it is my hope you will consider donating to Judy's House and share with your networks the humbling work this inspiring organization is delivering to so many in need. Simply visit www.judyshouse.org slash donate. This link will also be included in our episode notes. I am honored to highlight the work being done at Judy's House, and I look forward to having you a part of their journey. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Dr. Brooke Greasy and Jessica Maitland-Mayo. Welcome to our podcast being recorded at Halo Creative Labs, located inside of Angel MD's headquarters here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver. Thank you, Mike, for having us at this amazing place. Mike, we're so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm honored to highlight the incredibly important work being done at Judy's House here on the podcast today. Brooke, as a trained professional and national expert in childhood bereavement, I'm looking forward to learning more about this critically important matter that impacts the development of our youth and the positive impact your organization is having in our communities. And Jessica, as the new CEO at Judy's House, I am eager to discuss the vision you have for the future of this amazing organization. Before we discuss this pioneering work, I want to give a bit more context as to the impact childhood bereavement has in society. According to the Childhood Bereavement Estimation Model, an estimated 1 out of 14 children in the United States will experience the death of a parent or sibling before they reach the age of 18. Almost 5 million youth in our country are bereaved, and the number more than doubles by age 25 to 12.8 million people. As you're both fully aware, childhood bereavement is a prevalent and critical public health issue that can have a profound impact on future well-being. Experiencing a significant death loss during childhood often results in profound stress and adversity and, without appropriate support, 
can derail a child's development. For the millions of youth who are bereaved, access to comprehensive grief-focused, trauma-informed care and resources is essential. Brooke and Jessica, I had no idea how far-reaching childhood bereavement is, and I'm humbled to be able to learn more from both of you and for our community to hear about the inspiring work being done at Judy's House. But before we dive into this incredible work and the mission at Judy's House, let's break the ice a little bit. Let's get to know both of you and talk about one of the questions that you will randomly select. Okay, what do we have? Oh, a favorite place. Okay, Brooke, why don't you kick us off? The favorite place you've ever been to and why? Ooh, okay. Well, I think up until a few years ago, I probably would have thought outside of the country and thought of Tuscany with its beauty and delicious food. That's not bad. But I have to say, honestly, my favorite place in the world is the beautiful mountains of Colorado. And when my children and my husband and I drive up I-70, the stress just falls behind us. And when we get closer to the sky that connects all of us, it just um, brings us a sense of peace. We're creating a, a special place up there for our family where we can paint and play together. Um, and, and it's our favorite place in the world. So let's take that one level down now. Uh, summer, winter, what season is favorite? Mm, well, I know they're all well, special. My children love and my husband love to ski and I just try to keep up with them. <laughs> I love all of the seasons. Fall is my yeah. favorite. Aspen are my most favorite um, species outside of my dog and my my people in my life. But I, I think fall is a special place. Fantastic. Now, Jessica, where is your favorite place? I love the water. And my grandparents back in 1943 bought a little bit of property on Lake Mille Lacs in Minnesota. And over the years, they built a cabin, then a home. And it was it's always been a special place that my family and I would go back each and every summer and spend time on the lake. It's no longer in our family, only in the last five years or so, but it's this beautiful place in my memories. I just, when I need to find a tranquil spot in my heart, I remember back to that lake. Oh, wow. Yeah, that does sound beautiful. Well, ladies, thank you for sharing that. So, Brooke, we're going we're gonna to kick things off with you. There is an amazing story behind Judy's house and, and how it became what it is today. Can you take us back in, in regards to your family's journey of, of how Judy's house came to be? Sure. And, and thank you, first of all, for that introduction of the issue, because I think many people don't realize that this is a critical issue and how prevalent it is and that it's something that we really do need to be paying attention to. I know we are a grief and death avoidant society. It's something that scares us very much understandably. it's The upside of that is that we engage in, in healthy behaviors to try to avoid death. Your podcasts are all about health innovations that allow us to do that. But the hard part is that we then leave kids alone with their grief. And, and as you said, um, it's they're not alone. One in 14 is a huge amount of kids um, to experience the death of a parent or sibling before um, the age of 18, but um, they feel very alone with it. So when I was... Um, just starting out my career, I came out to Colorado in 1997, came to University of Colorado to get my PhD in clinical psychology. And I had grown up in a small rural town in Michigan with very few resources and very little access to, to care and support and was very aware of the impact that not having access to um, supportive services and resources can have on children when they're facing adversity and trauma and loss. My mother was a psychiatric nurse. My dad was a director of social services for our very low-income county. And so I was attuned to that and decided at the age of 11 um, 
that I would become a child psychologist. It felt like the way to impact the world and, and help as many kids as I could. So I came out here and um, was very focused on becoming a psychologist and the clinical work, the research, the education. I was very bought into the Boulder model of integrating all of those pieces and, and having that impact the children and families that we serve. And at that time, I got a call from a childhood friend of mine who invited me to go to a Broncos game. And I was a nerd. I'm just going to lay that out there. I was a research nerd. I had never actually watched an entire NFL game and certainly had never been to one. And I said, okay, sure. Good study break. So I went to that game and the young rookie um, who was playing in his first NFL game ever was Brian Greasy. And um, I didn't realize when I met him that day that my trajectory, my career was going to shift and change in a profound way. Um, because he was one of those kids who had felt alone with his loss. He had lost his mom at the age of 12 to breast cancer and felt like he was the only 12-year-old boy who had lost his mom. And um, really, like many kids, because we are so grief avoidant, because we have such a hard time talking about grief and talking about death, just stuffed it all in. And he very openly and much more eloquently than I can explain, talks about how he um, just, he hit it all. He stuffed it and he channeled it, um, fortunately, into sports eventually, but he was angry. He was angry at society and doctors for not being able to cure his mother's cancer, um, at God, at himself for not being a better son. And so he was in a dangerous place and he realized, fast forward to when he's in the NFL, and as a very young man realized he had this platform that he could help other children who are grieving the death of somebody important in their life feel less alone with that grief and and wanted to do something about it. So when I met him and when we eventually started dating, actually on our first real date, we had a conversation that planted seeds that led to Judy's house. Um, he asked a great question, you know, if you could do anything for kids, what would you do? So much better than talking about football for someone who knew nothing about football. So you weren't dissecting plays on that first day. No, no, I didn't even know what first and ten was, Mike. But we had this great conversation and, and came to this realization um, after doing some research in our community and looking around the country that really we we didn't have anything in our community that could support children across a whole spectrum of reactions to a death loss, that there weren't any freestanding organizations that were providing care for children and families who were grieving and that could wrap around the whole family in a way that was comprehensive. And we opened our doors very small. We opened as a, you know, like most grassroots peer support programs start very small with just a couple of staff and, and ourselves as volunteers um, and, and a handful of volunteers and grew over the years and, and really came to realize that, um, we needed to grow. The demand was overwhelming. We outgrew our first house within a few years and moved into a much larger house. And now we're in, um, actually, we have two 1800s, uh, early 1900s buildings. They are um, beautiful. They're beautiful they're buildings beautiful. and they're safe and comfortable, comfortable spaces that are an easy door for families to walk through. And that was something that we, um, that we really talked about was that um, for Brian, he felt that um, the getting help for his grief meant you know, going to a sterile clinical environment like when he was ki a kid and that the message he got was there was either something wrong with him or something wrong with the way he was grieving. And so he really um, felt like 
and, and, and I agree completely that having a safe and comfortable home-like environment could be a healing element of what we could provide for families. And then that connection with other kids. We really saw that there was a need for having a space where children could meet other kids their age who had lost a loved one. Um, the parents and caregivers could connect and learn from one another and share their experience and and develop a a path forward together as a family. And so for us, it was that piece of, of bridging um, my experience as a psychologist and in his experience of loss of his mom and feeling very alone with that and into a place that could help many, many people. Wow. Thank you for that, Brooke. That's uh, quite the story. And so it, obviously here it was in, in Denver, started with one house, started, you know, like you said, very grassroots as, as they always do. Um, and now we're seeing some growth. And Jessica, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, did you see any attention on this and did it, did it maybe quickly happen? Other folks around the country, other leaders around the country in this space, looking back into Denver and, and studying your model and asking, you know, Dr. Greasy, how, how are you building this? What are you, what are you seeing and how is this impacting? What are some of those, what are some of the end results that you're seeing? Did you see some attention outside of the community of Denver? You know, I think that, um, A, we learn from um, our peers throughout the country. And, and Brian and I were very intentional about going around and, and looking to see what was being done around the country and, and, and being sponges and learning from that. But what we saw as a, as a gap in this field and around this issue of childhood bereavement was that it was drastically understudied, mm-hmm. underfunded for sure. In fact, still to this day, most bereavement centers around the country are um, volunteer-led and, and still remain at that grassroots level of, of really relying on, on um, donations to survive. This is not an issue that's covered by insurance um, unless you've reached a diagnostic status. Um, and, and for us, we wanted to preserve the beauty of that grassroots feeling that that a place of a community coming together, but also fold in research. To us, understanding this issue was key to um, helping all boats rise in this um, this work that we're doing together. And so we invested and, and eventually established JAG Institute, which also honors Brian's mom. Her, her name is Judy, but Judith Ann Greasy is her full name. So JAG Institute honors Brian's mom as well. And we really wanted to, um, and, and had been really almost from the beginning of Judy's house, integrate academic level research into a community-based setting. Because to us, real research that was actionable and that we could be using in our real um, world settings needed to be done in a real world setting. So to have that research integrated into our clinical practice and have that inform the development of our programs really did allow us... Um, it, it, it is different from what's been out there in the field and allowed us to develop a model that's unique and more comprehensive to meet the broad needs that we see in the families that we serve. And so now you're seeing some quite a bit of growth. And, and with, uh, with growth uh, usually means expanding the tent. And so now, you know, and, and Jessica, we're going to dive into this. But Brooke, you, you've brought on a new CEO, and I know you and Brian are still going to be very much involved in the organization. But Here's a new CEO uh, just recently appointed. Discuss that a little bit. What were the telltale signs that, you know what, Brian and I, we need to get out of the way a little bit and and bring in a CEO. Maybe unpack that a little bit. Yeah, well, so we were 27 when we started Judy's House, which means we really knew not much at all. And we definitely had no idea that we would get to this place of having served over 10,000 individuals and providing free care to that many children and caregivers and being at a place of capacity, needing to continue to grow. But really from the 
almost the beginning. And, and when I decided to um, take on the role of CEO and lead the organization for many years after having developed the programs and the research, I knew that it would there would come a time, and every founder needs to think about this, that in order for the organization to live on long beyond us, because this is so much bigger than us, our family, even this community, we needed um, to be able to pass the torch, to share the leadership, to share um, to share the experience of being a part of this incredible organization. We have an amazing team. It was the honor of my life to lead this team. But um, we were so excited to be at this point of bringing on an incredible new CEO who could help lead us into the future and, and really move into our roles as founders and as board members. And I love that my team gave me the unofficial title of special ops, which means I will do anything they ask me to do, including this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Jessica's amazing. And and we're so lucky to have her joining us in this mission. And maybe it'll free up some time for Brian to teach you a little bit more about some football as well. (laughs) (laughs) Free up more time to paint and write and and be with our kids. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for that, Brooke. So Jessica, Brooke teed it up perfectly for us. So before we talk a little bit about your new appointment as as CEO, Judy's house directly impacted you and your family. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Mike. And it's such an honor to be a part of this organization. I am thrilled. And it was actually a dream of mine to be able to do something above and beyond with Judy's house. Because as you referenced, Mike, I myself actually experienced firsthand what it means to benefit from what Judy's house offers our community. A little more than six years ago, my husband of 20 years died, and he died by suicide, which I actually learned how to say that at Judy's house, that he died by suicide. And at the time, I had two kids. My son was seven at the time, and my daughter was 11. So very tricky ages under any circumstances. And when I talk about my experience, I think I felt like any mother would, and that your first and foremost thought is, I just need for my kids to be okay. And I will do absolutely anything to ensure that to the best of our ability, we can support them through this time while also supporting myself through that time. And as Brooke referenced, and you referenced, one of the amazing things about our organization is that we do wrap our arms around the entire family. So that trick of how do you support a grieving parent who is trying to in turn support their grieving children, it's a it's a tricky scenario to do all of those things at one time. Um, and I actually knew about Judy's house before I needed their services. I loved it. I respected it. I um, thought it was an amazing place and found myself, um, interestingly, I when I, I needed the services of Judy's house, several people came forward and referred them to me. And um, it, you know, it just, it, Brooke talks about it being an easy door to walk through, and I think that's very true. I think our community is very grief adverse, and if you're working a high-pressure job or you're being who you need to be out in the community with friends and family, really having the opportunity to express what grief looks like and support your children in that way is a very tricky thing to do. And um, coming to Judy's house, we actually spent, as a family, an entire year, we accessed everything they had to offer, which for us meant we came um, to group counseling sessions um, for the first 10 weeks, once a week, and then we moved on to a program that we call Connections for people who want to stay engaged. We would come every other week, and my kids would be in a group that was specific to the type of death loss that they experienced, So they, and also in a group with kids who are similar age. So it gave them the opportunity, unlike 
what they did not have anywhere else in their life to talk to other kids who are going th- through something similar. And to speak candidly, our experience um, a father who dies by suicide is not something that kids are going to feel comfortable leading with almost in any community. And I think that's something we need to fix as a, as a society. And that's something that Judy's house is working towards. Um, but having that type of support for our entire family during that time was truly life altering for us. Um, I heard one of our clients recently report um, when she talked about Judy's house, that Judy's house was the only safe place she and her family had to grieve. And that so resonated with me. That's how I felt when I showed up with my kids. It's like, I can walk into this organization and be supported by these licensed clinicians, by volunteers from the community, by other people who look like me and my kids, and go through the experience of my personal experience, my kids' personal experience of what it looks for us uniquely to go through that process. And what did you see the impact it was for your children going through that? As you mentioned, that, that, that is quite unique that they were able to match up with some peers to go through it as well. What, what did you see for your children through that experience? You know, just the other day, I was talking to my daughter who is now 17 and she was 11 when she went through. And it was really sweet because I was talking about my work in Judy's house and she rattled off, yeah, it's so that kids know they're not alone. And for her, I mean, that's our mission. That's our vision. That's why we exist. It's so that kids don't feel alone, so that they feel connected to others who have gone through a similar experience, so they don't feel other in this world. I think this world, by its very nature, can easily make all of us feel other at times. And then you add in the layer of a death loss on top of it. So I did watch as my both my children in their own way would look forward it was hard work to be there, but look forward to going to Judy's house because they didn't feel alone. And the type of connection around a shared meal, around an activity, around a conversation, but with others who were going through a similar experience. And it helped them gain their footing as best as you can. I mean, the work also becomes your own. So you take the tools and the experience and then you move forward in your own way and integrate it. But it helped them gain their footing. So we've, I, I definitely got the sense of what it meant for you as a mom. But what did it mean for you as person, as Jessica, for you personally? What did it mean for you? You know, I think that's why I referenced that quote. For me, it was a very safe place to be during the most difficult time of my life. And I had a job at the time that, you know, we talk about a lot of our clients. You have um, two income parents that go down to one and you've got a level of pressures upon you that maybe you didn't feel before. So you just kind of need to keep going forward in your world during that very traumatic time. And to know that there was one place I could go each week to be surrounded by peers um, that had a similar experience, I felt that I had support. And you know, the other thing, and I've said this before, quite honestly, I was hesitant when I first showed up because I wanted to make sure that if I came, it was a safe place for the support I needed. And one of the things that makes our organization so unique is the fact that we are run by licensed clinicians. And the genius of Dr. Greasy and her husband putting this on the map, it is unlike many other facilities in that the training level and the level of skill, we showed up as a family with complexity And complexity requires a higher level of skill. And I needed to feel the comfort that if I truly put our issues in front of these folks, that they could meet us where we were. And I I see that time and time again for the clients who come through, that that's what we provide. Well, thank you for that, Jessica. And of course, thank you for letting us in on your family journey. 
it's very courageous of you, and I know it's going to impact a lot of people listening in on the podcast. So let's turn a bit uh, to the focus of of the big announcement. Here you are, the the new CEO, and congratulations on on the new appointment. Jessica, where where are you right now as a CEO with the organization? Where is the organization under your leadership? And then, of course, share a little bit. Where do you see Judy's House going in the future? You know, I am so thrilled to be a part of the organization in this way. It really is an immense honor for me because our mission is all about doing something that is critically needed in this community. So I think when I think about where we're headed, um, it's all about sustainability for our organization. We have created something that is critically needed and incredibly important. And frankly, I think when Brooke and Brian started this, you can tell by Brooke's story about how they started small and quickly outgrew. The reality is there are children and families every day that are accessing us for our services, and we cannot leave that need unmet. So that is the charge that I feel. So as we look to the future, we're coming up on 18 years, but I want to make sure that beyond all of us, Judy's House stays and provides the services that are needed within our community, but then also um, through the work that we do through the JAG Institute, that we can continue to elevate the understanding around bereavement. We can help educate others so they do a better job in their work, not only in our community, but throughout the rest of the nation. I think there's a huge altruism um, behind our work that we truly feel if we put our efforts into studying and providing what we find to others, at the end of the day, that's the best way to impact this horrible number of children and families that are battling against these issues and oftentimes in an unseen way. So a variety of things we're trying to achieve, but a huge part of it is really just elevating the understanding that this truly is a critical public health issue for everyone. And, you know, my experience as a client and my experience at Judy's house as a worker it is an amazing unifier of our society. You know, when I sat in my group, there were people from all over the city, frankly, all over the state, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different experiences, different, so many things that were different. But what brought us together was a shared experience, which is a beautiful thing in our community. And if we can highlight that and continue to bring that opportunity for others to feel that type of connection. So sustainability so that that work does not go away. And if I can just say one more little thing about that, because when I think about sustainability, I know I should probably talk about our balance sheet or our income statement, and I can do all that. But really, when I think about sustainability, what I think about, there's this amazing place in our house. There's stairs going down to the basement. And the kids who have come through the program, one of the activities we do with them is we have them trace their hand and on construction paper. And then they write a note to the kids who are going to come after them. Because sadly, we know that there will always be kids that come after them. And their notes, if you walk down the stairs, and I love doing this, you can read the notes from these amazing kids who are leaving a message for the kids who come after them. And they say things like, it's okay to be angry. Judy's house will help you. Um, don't be afraid to cry. I mean, I or whatever they are, there's these beautiful notes that are for the kids that come after them. And I feel strongly that my role and our role and the organization's role our bo- with our board's support and the community's support is to ensure that those messages go on to the next kids that will need them. So we need to remain in existence. And that's really the biggest charge. That's beautiful. Thank you, Jessica. And Brooke, we're going to turn back to you a little bit. So, of course, we want to discuss a few action items from this amazing work 18 plus years in um, with Judy's House. What are two or three action items that our community uh, can implement 
with the work and mission of Judy's House? I'm so glad you asked because we are all about action. Good. <laughs> but starting first with our vision, though, as Jessica said, our vision is, is pretty lofty. Yeah. It's that no child should be alone in grief anywhere. So in order to achieve that lofty goal, we need to elevate this issue, as she said, as a public health and a societal priority across all sectors, education, health and behavioral health policy, and really build the capacity of our communities to be grief-informed and responsive when they come in contact with children and families who are grieving. So that is that is a big lofty goal. And and as Jessica said, um, how we plan to do that is by sharing all that we continue to learn from the courageous children and families and parents like Jessica, who have come through our programs and taught us so much about what the experience of bereavement and the experience of grief can look like for them, but what healing looks like to them as well and how they can develop a compassionate and giving response to others in the community. So we have a tremendous amount of um, children who are now coming out of our programs and, and, and giving back and coming back and volunteering. And one of the biggest compliments we've had recently is that we train clinicians and um, future clinicians and um, several of our interns who have come through our program were actually clients who came through our program years ago and were inspired to go into this work because of their experience at Judy's house. And it's exciting for us that uh, a service that is preventive in nature that can help promote resilience um, for families is, is, is something that um, people are actually wanting to go into as a career now. Um, because of this work. But in terms of your listeners, like what can community members do? Yeah. I think there's a lot they can do. I think they can, first of all, educate educate yourself, educate yourself and your community. So go to our website, um, learn more about the supports available, like Judy Sauce and Jaggins do in your community. Um, there are great resources available online. The National Alliance for Grieving Children is a great partner of ours in the Luna as well. They have directories of, of um, child-specific grief-focused programs nationwide. So you can find out who's providing care in your community and educate yourself about their mission and then make sure the people in your community know about those resources as well. And we'll, and just as a quick aside there, Brooke, we'll include in the episode notes some links to some of those uh, resources that you just shared. We'll include those in the episode notes for our community. I think that's, I think that's great. I think that the people who come in contact with kids, the teachers, the coaches, yeah. all of these folks need to be more grief-informed and aware so they can be there for kids. Um, and secondly, lending your time and talents. So like Judy Sassenjag, most bereavement centers rely on the generosity of the community to serve the fraction of those four, nearly 5 million people that you talked about. The New York Life Foundation is one of the largest financial supporters of childhood bereavement nationwide, and we're grateful for their contribution and partnership in this mission, this field. Um, and that financial support is critical, but the volunteering is critical to our organization and others as well, whether that's serving meals or volunteering in groups, um, helping out around the house. Um, so volunteering is a great way to get involved and to be a part of giving back to the community and helping them feel connected and, and cared for. And Jessica, do you have one action item from your perspective? You know, I think um, really being an everyday hero to those folks out there that are going through grief and showing up for them, I think is, is you know, oftentimes in our society, folks don't know what to do when you come across somebody who is experiencing a death loss in their life. And to just be present and to be supportive and to engage in conversation and, and be there for them. And to tie it back a little bit, you both just highlighted it a, a couple moments ago regarding language. You mentioned that some of the, the children that have gone through the program, they, they trace their hand and leave a message for the ones that will be coming after 
them. And then you mentioned about talking about it in our communities. Dr. Ben Miller on an earlier episode, he's the Chief Strategy Officer of Wellbeing Trust. He said something so profound on, on, on his episode. He said, language changes culture. Language changes culture. And so to, to know that, hey, we need to be talking about this and that's okay. And, and let's make sure that we're putting that into, into our language and into the conversations we're having with our, with our fellow community members. Like Jessica earlier said that her husband died by suicide. We don't say committed suicide. We, we are careful with our language, responsible with our language. And that matters for the kids who are watching and learning how to grieve and live and be supportive of others who are grieving I do want to put in a plug for um, National Children's Grief Awareness Month, which is November, this upcoming month. Um, and the third Thursday of the month is always Children's Grief Awareness Day, and that's November 21st this year. So we're joining the National Alliance for Grieving Children and asking members of the community to be a hero, as Jessica said, to grieving families and show up in a special way, be there for them. And you can learn more about that at childrengrieve.org. Awesome. And we'll, again, include that link in the episode notes. Uh, Jessica, we'll, we'll come back to you in just a moment in regards to how we can find out about this important work online. Thank you for sharing that, Jessica, in regards to some of the things of how we can get involved in implementing the work of, of Judy's House in our community. Brooke, what is one problem, need, or question that you currently have that the community can help with? I think you're helping us do it right now, Mike, and that's by elevating this issue, making people aware that it is a critical issue that needs the attention of our society. It should be a public health and societal priority across all sectors, education, health, mental health care, policy. And we need to build the capacity of our communities to be grief-informed and responsive to the needs of grieving children and families. Excellent. Thank you. And Jessica, how can we find out all this amazing work online? Where are some of the touch points online for our community to get involved? You bet. We are very active on Twitter and Facebook. So on Twitter, we're at Judy's House, and that's J-U-D-I-S, Judy's House. Also on Facebook, you can search us up as Judy's House. And then our website is judyshouse.org. So a great place to find more information and more resources as people are working to really educate themselves about this issue. I do have to applaud uh, you and the organization. There is so much incredible content on the website Mm -hmm. that is so informative. So I do recommend that our community go and check that out on the website as well. Thank you. All right. We're going to take it home, ladies. So, Jessica, I'm going to start with you. And then, Brooke, you're going to close us out. Please fill in the blank, Jessica. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I believe we can change the world around us through this work. I believe that sincerely, actually. I think if we can all take steps through Judy's house or just as people in the community, we can help turn society to being less grief adverse and actually becoming more grief informed and be supportive and have this as a topic that we're not afraid of and helps us embrace each other and build connection in our community. Excellent. Brooke, I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because every child who's grieving should have access to compassionate care and meaningful connection in their community. That is what will help them and allow them to not only heal, but thrive. Excellent. Ladies, thank you for taking time today to be on our podcast, to share your story, to share your truth, and to share where you're going as an organization. I know your work is just beginning. And know that on behalf of our podcast and our community, we thank you and we applaud you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike.
Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.